There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At Bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode contains distressing themes, explicit language and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. Lower Park Road is a leafy residential area located in the large seaside town of Hastings in England. Fronted by the picturesque Alexandra Park, the area boasts large Victorian-era style homes, surrounded by shops and parks, a short distance from the beach. In 1997, Hastings no longer saw the volume of tourists it once did. Some old empty properties had been turned into flats and hostels. Others were a base for patients released under the Care in the Community scheme. Although some parts of the once popular resort town had been neglected, Lower Park Road remained a desirable area to live. However, residents began to raise concerns about prowlers in the area. British justice has been done. And all I can say is let him get out of this one. It belongs to me now. Did you have any doubts at any point about him? Never had a doubt in my mind. He is an individual who would resort to physical assault when he got stressed and angry. And I think on this occasion, um, he got stressed and angry and he lost it. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 17 of They Walk Among Us a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. So 
Saturday, February 15th, 1997, started out like any other day for the Jenkins family, who lived in a three-storey semi-detached home on Lower Park Road. That morning, Lois Jenkins went to the supermarket with three of her daughters, 12-year-old Annie, 9-year-old Esther and 7-year-old Maya. When she went to pay for her groceries, Lois realised that she had forgotten her checkbook. She called her husband, Sean, and asked him to bring it to the supermarket so that she could pay. After purchasing the shopping, Lois returned home to unpack what she had bought. She then gathered up some items for an afternoon trip to the seafront, accompanied by Esther and Maya. The girls enjoyed walking along the beach whenever the weather permitted, even in the winter months. They returned after their time near the sea, and that afternoon Lois and Sean's other daughter, ten-year-old Charlotte, or Lottie as she was affectionately known, was due to go to a clarinet lesson. As usual, it was a busy day for the couple, managing the needs of several children. Lottie would be taken to her lesson by one of her friend's parents, and it was arranged that Sean would pick up Lottie when the clarinet lesson was finished. In addition to Lois and Sean's four biological children, they were the foster parents to 13-year-old Billy Joe. That afternoon, the eldest children, Annie and Billy Joe, were making good use of their free time while the other girls were out of the house. They had been carrying out various odd jobs around the home in order to make some extra pocket money. They were each given £1.20 a week, and Billy Joe was saving up to purchase some new trainers. Twelve-year-old Annie's tasks were cleaning the utility room and washing one of the family cars. Billy Joe spent the afternoon painting the outside patio doors. Sean came to inspect her work and found that Billy Joe accidentally got some paint on the inside doors and on the floor. He later recalled, Billy was painting all around the glass of the doors and making quite a mess. I expected Billy to make a mess of the painting. She was quite an impatient girl but I wanted to give her a chance. As Sean crouched down to colour a lower section of the door, demonstrating how not to make a mess, Billy Joe jokingly flung her leg over his shoulder and then stuck her tongue out. She would call Sean back sometime later to ask if she was painting correctly. Sean recalled, I walked back and cuddled her and said, Of course you are. She was the sort of girl who needed constant reassurance. Just before 3pm, Sean and Annie left Billy Joe alone for a short period when they went to collect Lottie from her clarinet lesson, returning home soon after. They remained there for only a couple of minutes before Sean, Annie and Lottie clambered back into the car to drive to a local DIY store called Do It All to purchase some white spirit to help remove the paint stains that Billy Joe had created around the patio doors. She had chosen to stay home alone to continue the painting. 
When Sean and the girls arrived at the DIY store, Sean realised he had forgotten to bring any money with him. They left the store empty-handed, returning to Lower Park Road around 15 minutes later. Sean and the girls pulled into the driveway and entered the family home. Lottie went straight into the dining room, which led to the back patio doors. Sean was just coming through the front door when he heard Lottie screaming. He followed the petrifying sound of his child's voice into the dining room. His eyes were immediately transfixed on Billy Joe. She was lying flat on her stomach on the ground just outside. Her body was facing the open wide patio doors. The jarring tones of blood surrounded her body, predominantly pooling around her long, dark brown hair. White specks of paint marked her right hand, which covered her face. Sean rushed over to Billy Joe, but the child was unresponsive. She was lying on top of a black plastic bag, which had been creased when it was disturbed. Blood pulled between the folds. A strange feature of the horrific scene was that part of the back had been stuffed deeply into one of Billy Joe's nostrils. There was also a bubble of blood coming from Billy Joe's nose. Sean moved Billy Joe getting blood on his hands while doing so. Nearby her body was an 18-inch heavy metal tent spike that had been used by the family to secure a child's swing into the ground. Annie and Lottie were standing nearby in a frenzy. Sean ushered them inside, telling them that Billy Joe had an accident and that she would be okay. He then dialed 999. The desperation in his voice was audible. Where do you need the ambulance? Uh, 48 Lower Park Road. Lower Park Road. Lower Park Road, Hastings, and it is an emergency. And what's happened there? I don't, I, I really, I don't know. My daughter's fallen or she's got head injuries. There's blood everywhere. Well, she's banged her head and bleeding from the head? Yes, no, well, I don't, I don't know. She's blood everywhere on her head. She's lying on the floor. And can I take your name, sir? Sean was asked by the 999 operator whether Billy Joe was breathing to which he replied, I don't know, I have not looked. After hanging up, Sean called his neighbour Denise Franklin and explained that Billy Joe had an accident. Denise ran the 600 yards to the Jenkins family home. Sean flung open the front door to Denise and said, Billy is through there, as he pointed towards the dining room which opened out onto the garden. As Denise entered the room, she saw Billy Joe strewn on the floor outside. Denise recalled, She was lying just outside the patio doors. She was remarkably flat in the sense that she was not dishevelled. It was as if she was asleep on the floor. The large amount of blood surrounding Billy Joe told Denise that very little could be done. Nevertheless, she crouched down beside Billy Joe and felt for a pulse. Denise was taken aback by the fact that Billy Joe was still warm, but there was no pulse. 
Denise Franklin later said. She felt warm as she would only have been dead for 15 minutes. Sean tried to comfort Annie and Lottie in a bedroom upstairs as Denise placed a towel by Billy Joe's head. Denise would later say, I saw her skull was like great big jagged bits of ice. It was obvious that she could not be alive. Around eight minutes after the first call to 999, Sean placed a second call, telling the operator, this is a total, total emergency. He described Billy Joe's pulse as very, very faint, adding, she's still warm. She may have lost it by now. She is just warm, tepid. Paramedics arrived at the scene and were flagged down by Sean, who had briefly returned to his convertible car. He sat in the driver's seat to raise the roof, later explaining he did not know why, but was in a state of confusion. He led emergency personnel to the patio, where Billy Joe lay critically injured. Paramedic Christopher Burton observed the scene before him. There was a wound approximately three centimetres in length above Billy Joe's left eye. Blood from her injuries was trickling from the black plastic bag onto the patio tiles below. Burton could see that there were two footprints on both of Billy Joe's upper thighs. There was no pulse, and Billy Joe was now cold to the touch. Any efforts to revive her were in vain. Billy Joe had passed away. Billy Joe Jenkins was born in London on March 29, 1983, to parents Debbie Woods and Bill Jenkins. Bill, who coincidentally shared a surname with Billy Joe's foster parents, was an unemployed painter and decorator. He had served various stints in prison and at one point had been convicted of grievous bodily harm following a brutal assault. Debbie also had a lengthy criminal record. She was a heavy drinker and had served time for checkbook fraud. In fact, Debbie and Bill had met in Wandsworth Prison on a blind date. When Billy Joe was seven years old, her parents called it quits on their relationship. Billy Joe, Debbie, and her siblings bounced from hostel to hostel. Debbie found herself increasingly desperate for money. Her stressful situation only led to an increase in her alcohol consumption, and in August 1989, social services stepped in when Debbie was about to be sent to prison. Bill Jenkins had just served time in jail and was deemed unfit to be a full-time father. Billy Joe and her two siblings, Daryl and Margaret, were taken into care. They spent some time at a children's home before Newham Council decided they would be better suited in foster homes. In 1993... Billy Joe was fostered by Sean and Lois Jenkins after they read an advert in the local newspaper. They appeared to be the perfect match for Billy Joe. 
Lois was a social worker. Old Sean was the deputy head at the old boys' William Parker Comprehensive School in Hastings. When Billy Joe first arrived at the Jenkins' home, she faced several challenges. She struggled to express herself and responded by destroying clothes and toys, ripping the heads off her dolls. She sometimes self-harmed. Sean later recalled, she was a disturbed girl. As time progressed, these problems receded and Billy Joe fitted in well with the Jenkins family. She was ecstatic to have a stable family of her own, including four sisters that were all relatively close in age. Billy Joe blossomed into a confident and popular girl. When the family moved from London to Hastings, she enrolled in Blacklands Primary School, where she enjoyed swimming and attending the youth club. Briss Luckin, the headmaster, said, We remember her as a delightful girl, interested in everything that went on in school. Two years later, Billy Joe started at Hastings All Girls Helenswood Comprehensive. Her friendly demeanour and warm nature earned her many friends at the school, where she was described as fun-loving and joyful. In December 1996, Sean and Lois became Billy Joe's legal guardians, along with her biological father, Bill, with whom she had remained in contact. Billy Joe integrated well, both in school and family life. Eventually, the routine visits from her social worker stopped. A neighbour, Ann Webb, commented to the Birmingham Post, Billy Joe was a young lady in the old-fashioned sense of the word. It is rare to meet such a young girl nowadays with such manners and such an attitude. She was always polite, always caring. When the family adopted a puppy bulldog they named Buster, Billy Joe was over the moon. She raced down the street showing him off to all of the neighbours. Billy Joe was nearing her 14th birthday in 1997. She attended summer camp, and when a boy told her she looked pretty without her glasses, she started to take them off more frequently. She had also taken a keen interest in drama. To ignite her imagination, Sean took Billy Joe to the Centre of Performing Arts in London so she could understand what her future might hold. But sadly, Billy Joe's life was cut short. Following a post-mortem, a pathologist determined that Billy Joe Jenkins had been beaten to death with a metal tent spike. Dr. Ian Hill noted that Billy Joe's brain had been badly torn and lacerated during the frenzied attack. She was struck a number of times. Fragments of her skull and brain were found matted in her blood-stained hair. Fracture lines travelled down to both of her eyes, ears and nose. Dr Hill additionally found bruises on her forearm and the back of her hand, which he determined could be defensive wounds. 
there was no evidence that Billy Joe had been sexually assaulted. The murder investigation was headed by Detective Superintendent Jeremy Payne. The detective was certain that following the attack, the killer's clothing must have been blood-stained and may have even been marked with white paint. Billy Joe's parents told the police that over the past couple of weeks, they had been worried about prowlers in the area. On February 4th, Sean saw a figure in the family's back garden. Sometime before this incident, he had spotted an individual in a black leather jacket in Alexandra Park, staring at their house. To try and scare the unfamiliar man away, Sean walked over the road with his dog, and the person fled. What's more, on several occasions, Sean and Lois had found their side gate open. The family lived next door to a vacant property, and it was repeatedly broken into. Somebody could easily access the Jenkins' back garden from next door, and vice scrubland at the back. To combat their fears, the couple installed security lighting, hoping it would deter anyone who planned on entering their property. Sean and Lois Jenkins had spoken frequently about the increasing feeling of unease with their living situation. They had decided that they were going to move to another area, but unfortunately they never got the chance. There had been a handful of other residents in the neighbourhood who reported similar strange incidents. One neighbour called the police shortly before Christmas after spotting somebody acting suspiciously outside their home. For months, residents had expressed their fears about people in the area and prowlers hanging out in the park. Just the year before, a man was stabbed and beaten to death around a quarter of a mile away from Lower Park Road. Over 1,000 worried locals had signed a petition calling for better security at Alexandra Park, after numerous reports of drug dealing and men exposing themselves. The authorities responded to the petition by installing a special police box in the park. Officers from Sussex Police quickly interviewed residents of Lower Park Road to determine if anybody had witnessed or heard anything out of the ordinary. A neighbour of the Jenkins family said that around 3pm, a quote, somewhat strange man had knocked on their door looking for accommodation. The homeowner informed them that it was a private address and there was no accommodation available. He left and was seen walking towards the Jenkins home. The neighbour described this man as having a distinctive mark on his forehead and nose, possibly a scar or even a birthmark. He was white standing around 5 feet 10 inches tall with fairish, wispy hair cut short. The man was estimated to be in his 40s, carrying a Safeway carrier bag containing a stick of French bread. This same man also approached the guest house owned by Brian Kent, who lived on the same street. He later recalled, We had a rather confused conversation and it was obvious that he had mental health problems. 
Two further witnesses saw this same man sitting on a bench opposite the Jenkins home. One, Samantha Mott, said, He stared at us as we walked by. He was rubbing his nose and making a snorting noise. It made me feel uncomfortable. Just a couple of minutes later, Samantha saw an ambulance speeding past in the direction of the Jenkins home. As police searched for this unknown man, they announced that they were looking into whether there was any connection between the murder of Billy Joe and the sexual assault of a 12-year-old girl in nearby St. Leonard's. In the sexual assault case, the attacker was said to have a scar on his face. The police are looking for a murderer and a motive. It is the apparently random nature of the attack that makes them so fearful it could happen again. Billy Joe Jenkins' murder sent shockwaves throughout the town. Parents responded by not allowing their children to play outside. It was half-term break, but youngsters were rarely seen on the street. Investigators were perplexed by the seemingly motiveless murder. Billy Joe Jenkins had not been robbed, and she had not been sexually assaulted. Police appealed to the public about the man with the scarred face, and just the day after they received a tip identifying him. The person of interest was arrested at his home in Hastings and brought to the police station for questioning. The man denied any knowledge of Billy Joe's murder. That evening he was detained under the Mental Health Act and sent to Ashen Hill Hospital in Hailsham. In an attempt to find a motivation that could lead to the killer, the Sussex Constabulary began conducting routine interviews with those who knew Billy Joe. They learned that in the weeks leading up to her murder, she had been receiving strange phone calls at home. Each time Billy Joe picked up the phone, she was met with silence. Whoever was on the other end of the line never said a word. He only breathed heavily. In addition to these phone calls, Billy Joe confided in her friends that she feared she was being followed. One day her fear escalated when she saw a man in a black leather jacket hanging around outside her home. He was white, estimated to be in his forties. This information corresponded with the description Sean had provided of a man seen staring at the Jenkins family home. Detective Superintendent Jeremy Payne remarked, It has become clear that Billy Joe thought she was being followed in recent weeks. I would appeal to anyone who she confided in about this man to contact us. This was not the first time Billy Joe had found herself in an unnerving situation. Two years prior, along with one of her sisters, Billy Joe was in Alexandra Park when they were chased by an unknown man. This was around the same time Billy Joe voiced her fears to friends and her parents that she was being stalked. Police were contacted and the school were made aware of her concerns. Members of the faculty kept an eye out, 
but the mysterious man was never identified. Her recent fears of being stalked were never reported to the police, and Billy Joe never spoke to her family about her concerns, only to her friends. As the Sussex Constabulary were looking into whether Billy Joe Jenkins was killed by a stalker, they received a new tip. A witness had come forward to report seeing somebody walking out of a side entrance to Billy Joe's home at around 3.30pm, just 15 minutes before Sean returned to find her dead. The man was wearing a waist-length wax jacket. Detective Superintendent Payne stated, We need to speak to this man. He was at the house at a crucial time. The investigation was now in full swing, with a number of leads to look into. Billy Joe's family were distraught, but police encouraged them to partake in a news conference on February 19th. They shared their concerns about the strange occurrences taking place outside their home and Billy Joe's fears of being stalked. Her parents confirmed that they had not disclosed the Prowler incidents or the peculiar phone calls to the police. They had, however, reported concerns about the vacant home adjacent to theirs. They had also described a man who they observed looking into their windows. As a family, we are totally devastated. We do not understand why uh, my daughter has been murdered or what the motive uh, could possibly be. We were very concerned as a family about our security, particularly in relation to the empty property next doors and a series of incidents which had taken place there, all of which were reported to the police. There was just a, a, a sense um, of unease um, that has come across us as a family, I, I'd say from January, culminating uh, to, uh, to the extent that we decided that we wanted to sell the house. Sean Jenkins spoke at great length about what Billy Joe meant to the family and described the immense love he had for his daughter when he remarked, We do not understand why or what the motive was but we are working closely with the police in the hope her killer will be found and we can eventually piece our lives back together over the coming years. Sean and Lois Jenkins pleaded for any information that could help the police catch their daughter's killer. In the wake of the news conference, the police released a computer-generated image of a different man who was seen walking from a side entrance to Billy Joe's home. He had also been seen on Boxing Day when the family were out visiting relatives. The witness had come forward to report the sighting to the police, unsure whether it could have been related to the murder. He was described as white in his late 20s or early 30s. The man stood around six feet and was heavily built, wearing fawn-coloured trousers, a shiny black bomber jacket and a black woolen hat. Detective Superintendent Payne said, This man was clearly a trespasser as the family do not recognise his description. 
The Sussex police still wanted to identify the other man who was seen leaving the house around the same time as the murder. In a new development that same evening, it was announced that a 36-year-old man from Hastings was arrested in connection with the killing, but he was released without charge just hours later. Exactly a week after the murder, police began a new tactic in hopes of generating some more leads. They stopped approximately 1,600 motorists around Lower Park Road and Alexandra Park, asking if any of them knew anything about Billy Joe's murder. They also printed out numerous flyers with information about the unsolved murder and distributed them throughout the area. Behind the scenes, the police had been working on another theory. Some believed that Billy Joe Jenkins had been killed by her foster father, Sean. After the murder, the Jenkins family had moved in with a friend. At around 7.40am on February 24th, 1997, there was a knock on the front door. It awoke Sean, who had been fast asleep in a bedroom upstairs. He came downstairs to be met by a group of police officers who informed him he was being arrested on suspicion of Billy Joe's murder. Sean said nothing as he was being escorted to the police car and then transported to Hastings Police Station. There, Sean was led into an interrogation room where he was cautioned. Sean calmly stated, I am clearly upset, but I recognise that I need to be here. I recognise that you need to go through this. I recognise that I would be considered a suspect. He then added, After the event, I never considered for a moment that I would be a suspect. Some days after the event I realised that I would be a suspect, so although I am upset about being here, I am not surprised. Sean staunchly denied that he was involved in the murder of his foster daughter, stating, I did not kill my daughter, and I have striven these last days to provide police with everything in order to catch her killer. I in more ways than one have a vested interest in finding the killer. If you don't find the killer, our lives are ruined. Sean then went through the day's events leading up to the murder, repeating what he had previously said. He described waking up that morning, telling the police officers, It was gorgeous. The sky was clear. We live opposite Alexandra Park, and sometimes it looks just great. However, this time he recollected an incident where his wife Lois had told him that she had refused to let Billy Joe meet a friend. Lois believed she heard Billy Joe call her a bitch under her breath. Sean said that Billy Joe had never called her mother that word before, and that he wanted to confront her but Lois told him not to. After 36 hours of questioning, 
Sean Jenkins was released on police bail, and his wife was asked to come to the police station to be questioned as well. Police announced that it was voluntary questioning for Lois, and she was not considered a suspect. Detective Superintendent Payne announced, As part of the investigation, it is necessary to rule people out as well as to rule people in. The inquiry is continuing to make progress. As the Sussex police were looking into Sean Jenkins as a suspect, a silent tribute was held in honour of Billy Joe. Around 200 people gathered for a two-minute silence in the middle of Hastings. Two and a half weeks later on March 13th, Sean Jenkins was arrested once again. A magistrate granted police a further 36 hours to interview him. During the interview, the 45-year-old staunchly denied that he had anything to do with Billy Joe's murder. Once those 36 hours were up, Sean Jenkins was charged with murder and faced a further charge of obtaining a pecuniary advantage by deception. The second charge related to the fact it had been discovered that Sean had obtained his job as deputy headmaster by falsifying his educational qualifications and teaching experience. He had attended a teacher training college in 1975, where he just about passed in physical education and art. Twenty years later, Sean transformed these humble qualifications into a degree from Kent University. On paper, he looked to be more qualified for the role of deputy head, but his CV was 80% fiction. Sean Jenkins solicitor Brendan Salisbury applied for bail. While the application was initially denied, a further development meant Sean would be free before the trial. Toward the end of the month, Sean was released on £250,000 bail after his counsel made an emergency bail application to Lewis Crown Court. Two of the sureties who put up the money for the bail were Sean's father David and his uncle John. The bail conditions stipulated that if arrangements were made for Sean Jenkins to visit Lois and the girls, then this meeting needed to occur in the presence of a social worker and police officer. Billy Joe Jenkins was finally laid to rest on April 22nd. Her biological parents, Debbie Woods and Bill Jenkins, asked Sean and Lois not to attend. That morning, Billy Joe's body left Debbie's home in Barking, East London, in a coffin carried by a horse-drawn carriage. Mourners followed to the small chapel at the City of London Cemetery. The unnaturally dreary weather that spring morning matched the sombre mood as the coffin was carried into the chapel. Among the mourners shuffling inside were Lois, Esther, Maya, Lottie and Annie. They had been asked not to come, but Billy Joe was no different to Lois than her biological daughters. The girls all looked at Billy Joe like their biological sister as well. 
Sean was noticeably absent. Debbie Wood stood at the back of the chapel, struggling to contain her emotions. Her eyes darted from mourner to mourner before catching a glimpse of Lois and the girls. Debbie burst into floods of tears and bolted from the chapel. She was followed outside by her boyfriend, who drove her away from the funeral, missing her daughter's burial. Debbie Woods later issued a statement which read, This is a sad day for me. No mother expects to bury her child. Billy Jo was a pretty, lively girl who would have made such a success of her life. Only other people who had suffered the death of a loved one in the way I have can understand. A family friend commented to a reporter for the Daily Telegraph. Lois is obviously grieving as much as anyone else, but she is married to the man charged with murdering Billy Joe, and she should really have stayed away to prevent further grief. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand, and now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. 
What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safer families in EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code AMONGUS for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at Centair.com. In November 1997, Sean Jenkins was committed for trial after a one-day hearing at Hastings Magistrates Court. Charles Kemp for the Crown said the police working on the murder investigation opposed bail, but the magistrate disagreed. Reporting restrictions on today's hearing were not lifted. What was said in court cannot be made public. But as Jenkins was granted bail, there was an outburst from the public gallery. The murder trial began on June 3rd, 1998. As Sean Jenkins pulled up outside Lewis Crown Court, chaos ensued. Billy Joe's natural father, Bill, spat in Sean's direction before verbally abusing him and then lunging at him, attempting to push him. Sean was flanked by two minders and quickly ushered into the courtroom as Bill was restrained. Makes me feel better. That's the least I can do is spit. During opening statements... Camden Pratt QC told the jury that it was the prosecution's theory that Sean Jenkins had battered a child in his care to death. They had reached this determination by blood spatter found on Sean Jenkins' clothing. According to the prosecutor, the pattern of spatter was consistent with Sean having stood very close to Billy Joe as she was being struck with a metal tent spike. Camden Pratt QC said it was not consistent with Sean attending to Billy Joe's blood-saturated body upon finding her. Pratt stated, The defendant denies being present when she was struck, but in view of the blood spattering, he must be lying. The only reason that he would be lying would be because he was the one who inflicted the fatal blows. The prosecution suggested that on the morning of the murder, Sean Jenkins had been irritable. He was allegedly particularly frustrated by Billy Joe's inability to paint the patio doors in the way he wanted, and this frustration increased even further by the, quote, mess she was creating. It was the prosecution's belief that Billy Joe had been killed by Sean in the few moments between bringing Lottie home from a clarinet lesson and then taking Lottie and Annie to a local DIY store to purchase white spirit. The purpose of Sean Jenkins going to the store, the prosecutor contended, was to remove himself from the scene. Camden Pratt QC told the jury, Jenkins had no money with him to purchase any white spirit anyway, and the only reason he went off was because he was in the process of working out how to distance himself from what he had just done. At the DIY store, he turned around and drove home again without having bought anything, having taken his children on a total journey of 6.8 miles for no purpose. 
Pratt said that Sean Jenkins' behaviour in the immediate aftermath of Billy Joe's murder was peculiar. He also claimed that Sean had deliberately exaggerated the time that he had been away from the home with Lottie and Annie, stating, Obviously, the longer time he gave, the easier it would be to suggest a complete stranger had walked from off the street and perpetrated the murder with no motive, having arrived with no weapon and left without stealing anything. Camden Pratt QC went on to detail the prosecution's theory, saying that on the evening after Billy Joe was killed, the family had gone to see their neighbour Denise Franklin. As they prepared to go to another friend's home, Lois offered Sean his blue fleece jacket. He turned down the offer despite the fact it was cold. CCTV footage had shown that Sean was wearing the fleece jacket during the day. He said that when this jacket was examined by forensic experts, blood was found on it. As for a motivation, Camden Pratt QC said that Billy Joe had taken that secret to her grave. The prosecution called on Dr. Adrian Wayne, a forensic scientist, who told the jury of eight men and four women that he had found 158 tiny specks of blood on Sean's clothing. He said the specks were consistent with blood misting, a fine spray of blood spots thrown off the victim's body as a weapon is brought down onto a surface wet with blood. However, under cross-examination by Defence Counsel Anthony Scrivener QC, Dr. Wayne admitted that he had written in his report, this does not rule out some other explanation for the spotting that has yet to be considered. Sean Jenkins had immediately reported to the police that when he found Billy Joe outside, there was a bubble of blood coming from her nose. Sometime later, this bubble had disappeared. The defence contended that the bursting of the bubble combined with Sean moving Billy Joe's body could have resulted in the spray of blood droplets in a similar pattern. Anthony Scrivener QC then read aloud from a textbook by American blood expert Dr. Herbert MacDonald, who wrote that patterns from so-called expirated blood from the mouth or nose could create patterns that are somewhat like blood misting. Forensic expert Duncan McCurdy, who was called by the defence, told the jury that blood spots caused by Billy Joe breathing out would look very similar to those caused by impact spatter. McCurdy testified, These are very difficult areas as to make a decision as to whether blood is truly impact spatter or may have resulted from coughing blood. Sean Jenkins testified on his own behalf during the trial. He was asked by his counsel, Did you kill Billy Joe Jenkins? The defendant replied, No, I did not kill Billy Joe. The courtroom was stunned when Anthony Scrivener QC then stood down after stating, That's all, thank you. Sean had told the jury about Billy Joe and the family dynamic, 
He said that there was no sibling rivalry between her and her sisters, and it was as if Billy Joe had always been there. Camden Pratt QC then began his cross-examination. He asked if Billy Joe was a difficult girl, and Sean conceded that she could be. By difficult, he explained that she was a little impatient sometimes. Sean then added, The difficulties that Billy displayed were that she would often try to destroy her clothes. She would destroy toys. Sean was asked whether Billy Joe did what she was told, to which he replied, Yes, there were times when she was disobedient. If she was asked to do something, she might not do it. The prosecutor then presented a half-full two-litre container of white spirit, which police had found in the Jenkins' home after Sean was arrested. This raised the question of why he needed to go out and buy more. Sean stated, I wasn't aware that we had that in our house. Camden Pratt QC then turned his attention to the hours before Billy Joe was killed. He cited the fact that Sean said Billy Joe had jokingly put her leg on his shoulder when he showed her how to paint properly and suggested that Billy Joe was flirting with him. Sean was astonished at the accusation and completely denied it. The defendant stated, Billy was in a very happy, excited mood. It was jovial, and she was having fun. The prosecutor then focused on Sean Jenkins' 999 call. On the phone, Sean said Billy Joe could have had an accident 30 to 45 minutes prior. He explained that he said that specific length of time because that was when he had set off with Annie to collect Lottie, and he had forgotten about the trip to the hardware store called Do It All. The prosecution argued this was Sean Jenkins exaggerating the time frame so that it left more time for an alleged intruder to kill her. During closing arguments, Camden Pratt QC suggested that the complex relationship between Sean and Billy Joe was at the heart of the motive for him to kill her. When the prosecutor said, to suggest a motiveless passerby arriving and suddenly deciding to commit a crime, doesn't allow for common sense to prevail in this case. Pratt continued, Did the defendant lose control and strike Billy Joe? And then did he hurriedly leave the house in what the Crown suggests to you was an aimless and pointless journey? Or did an unnamed, unknown, unseen person, a stranger, for no apparent reason approach the patio? Did they decide to see what weapon there might be about? and without any reason, attack Billy Joe on the patio, and having murdered her, leave without a trace of ever having been there. Defence counsel Anthony Scrivener QC countered that the case against his client was a murder inquiry which had, quote, lost its way. He said that the prosecution had not presented a motive for why Sean Jenkins would bludgeon his foster daughter to death, and accused detectives of going off on a tangent 
and relying on flawed evidence. Before the jury was sent to deliberate, Scrivener revealed that between 1993 and 1997, there were 45 burglaries on the street where the Jenkins lived, and the Jenkins had been victims of crime four times. He told the court, You might be forgiven for thinking that the police focus was to look for someone with a psychiatric history, or someone with a history of violence, or at least someone who was a well-known burglar. This is an area where there is a lot of criminal activity. The jury were dismissed from the courtroom by the judge, but after five hours of deliberation, they could not reach a decision. They travelled home for the night, and the following day they managed to arrive at a verdict. Sean Jenkins was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. The facade of respectability, Sean Jenkins, the deputy headmaster, the committed Christian, tonight beginning a life sentence for the ferocious murder of his foster daughter. When the verdict was announced, there were euphoric cries from members of Billy Joe's natural family. Yes, yes, they shouted, punching the air with their fists. Sean Jenkins, flanked by two courtroom guards and two of his private bodyguards, was immediately taken down to the cells. Through her solicitor, Jenkins' estranged wife Lois issued this statement. It is a terrible thing to realise that the man with whom you have lived for 14 years, the father of your children, is capable of murdering your child. As Sean Jenkins began his life sentence, more details about the case were publicised for the first time. It was not disclosed during the trial, but investigators on the case had learned from Lois that Sean had a furious temper and had essentially been living a lie. Sean had publicly presented himself as an upstanding member of the community and a kind and compassionate family man. However, the year before Billy Joe was killed, he reportedly had an affair with a 17-year-old he had met at a colleague's home. Lois Jenkins was utterly oblivious to the affair, but she would claim that Sean had a capacity for violence. Before the couple were married, Sean had allegedly lost his temper and punched Lois in the face. The union with his wife did little to calm Sean's rage. Throughout the course of their marriage, according to Lois, she had been abused frequently. On one occasion, he had hurt her so badly that she needed to seek medical assistance, but she dared not implicate her husband. In another instance, Sean had hit Lois so hard that her head was propelled backwards due to the force of the blow. Lois said she had an extreme earache for several days before discovering that her eardrum had been perforated. This physical abuse was inflicted on Sean's daughters as well. When they misbehaved, their father would hit them with his, quote, naughty sticks, or with his slippers. Around seven months before Billy Joe was killed, the Jenkins were on holiday with another family when Sean was witnessed hurling Billy Joe across a room and then kicking her. 
upon noticing that he was being watched, he simply left the room, and the incident was never spoken of again. Sean would deny the claims made by his wife, suggesting that Lois was vulnerable following the death of Billy Joe and had been coerced to lie by the investigators. He also claimed that Lois had an ear infection, not a perforated eardrum caused by a strike to the head. While there was no evidence Sean Jenkins had sexually abused Billy Joe, one detective commented that she was a, quote, natural flirt, which supposedly irritated Sean. Sean allegedly felt that Billy Joe was using her sexuality to challenge his authority, according to Billy Joe's aunt Maggie Costner. He was infuriated with her, an unnatural and unhealthy love. I'm sure he made a grab for her sexuality, and his respectable image was going to crash down. The information regarding the abusive environment had come from Lois after Sean was arrested for the first time. Initially, she had stood by her husband, but as time progressed, she began to change her mind, and her suspicions against Sean began to mount. She knew he was more than capable of violence, and said, I woke up in the middle of the night as he turned over in bed, and it dawned on me it could have been him. I lay there terrified, thinking it must be him, and if it wasn't him, at least it could have been him. To his police liaison officer, Sean Jenkins is a man of iron will who for some unknown reason lost control. I don't think that uh, he's shown any remorse. I think that he distanced himself so far from this crime that he has convinced himself that he could never have perpetrated this crime, could never have been the offender. Several days after the life sentence was handed down, Sean Jenkins launched an appeal against his murder conviction. His solicitor Brendan Salisbury also issued a statement criticising reports that had since come out about the alleged unnatural lust for a child Sean had taken into his care. Early the following year, Sean Jenkins was granted leave to appeal his conviction. He returned to court towards the end of November, arguing that the verdict against him was unsafe and unsatisfactory. According to Sean Jenkins' legal team, fresh evidence showed that the blood found on his clothing had come from Billy Joe breathing, as opposed to blood spatter from a blow. David Dennison at the Heart and Lung Institute at the Royal Brompton Hospital in London had conducted more than 100 experiments to see if the blood on Sean's fleece had come from Billy Joe's dying breaths. Barrister Anthony Scrivener QC argued, quote, What his experiment showed was that very small particles of blood, we are talking about a teaspoon, can be expelled over a considerable distance leaving a pattern of the type which was found on the defendant's clothing. The first appeal failed, but in May 2003, 
the case was referred to the Court of Appeal by the Criminal Cases Review Commission. They decided that the case should be looked at once more, because during the murder trial, evidence was not allowed from Sean's daughters. According to the Criminal Cases Review Commission, there was a, quote, real possibility that a miscarriage of justice had occurred with the conviction. The following year, the Court of Appeal ordered an investigation into the case. They had been told that a mentally ill man, known to have been in the area when Billy Joe Jenkins was killed, had seemed fixated with pushing pieces of plastic bags into his nose. When Billy Joe was found, part of a plastic bag was stuffed into one of her nostrils. Sean Jenkins' defence team also suggested that Lois had provided misleading information to police to the effect that Lottie and Danny were hostile to Sean. Because of Lois's comments, the girls could not be called as witnesses during the murder trial. According to the defence, their testimony would have been crucial in showing that Sean Jenkins would not have had time to carry out the murder. The Court of Appeal heard arguments in July 2004, seven years after Billy Joe Jenkins' murder. For the first time, Lois Jenkins gave evidence. Lois Jenkins told police that her daughter Annie had witnessed a row at home the day Billy Joe was killed. Despite three requests from the court to come from Australia and give evidence in person, Annie Jenkins refused, saying the pressure would jeopardise her studies torn loyalties perhaps, because defending her father means contradicting her mother's account. Since Sean's conviction, Lois had filed for divorce, and she and the girls now lived in Tasmania with her new partner. She denied accusations that she had brainwashed her daughters into believing that their father was guilty of Billy Joe's murder. She also denied that she had fabricated incriminating evidence out of fear that Sean would be freed. While he had been convicted by a jury of his peers, the Court of Appeal ultimately ruled that Sean Jenkins' conviction was unsafe and a retrial was ordered. Sean Jenkins was once again released on bail. His first full day of freedom, Sean Jenkins at his parents' home in Aberystwyth, where he must live as part of his bail conditions. Speaking to reporters, he said he was tired but positive. The people of Aberystwyth have been wonderful to both my family and myself, and uh, I feel very much at home here. So I'll be about and uh, I shall be worshipping at St Michael's uh, regularly and uh, meeting the family and friends. So. Uh, I won't be uh, staying inside. Uh, I, I, I shall be up and about, certainly, yes. The retrial began in April 2005. Prosecutors aimed to undermine the claims that an intruder killed Billy Joe. They referred to the elusive intruder as Mr B and said that he was a man who was arrested just days after Billy Joe was killed. That afternoon, he had been going door-to-door asking for accommodation. 
He denied any involvement in Billy Joe's murder and was admitted to a hospital under the Mental Health Act. Prosecutors stated there was no physical evidence against Mr B. Unlike the first trial, Lois Jenkins testified. Via video link, she said she feared she was breaching her daughter's trust by repeating what they had told her. Lois said, There were times when they opened up and whooshed out with the whole story and then closed down again. Little by little, they were beginning to open up to me. It was difficult for me. It was new information for me as well. I was not sure what to do with it. Lois told the courtroom that her daughter Annie informed her that on the day of the murder, Sean had come rushing down the steps of the home, ordering her and Lottie to get into the car quickly. When Lottie had returned home from her clarinet lesson, Annie was washing the car. Lois said that Annie told her that, quote, Sean appeared to be peculiar. His eyes were funny and he appeared disorientated. Lois also disclosed that Annie said on the morning of the murder, Sean and Billy Joe had argued. According to the witness, Annie had allegedly tried to go back into the house three times while washing the car, but Sean had not allowed her to. Annie had then expounded to her mother on a theory of why Billy Joe was murdered. She said that Annie had been struggling with Billy Joe, who had occasionally embarrassed her. On the morning of the murder, Annie had been passed over to paint the patio doors in favour of Billy Joe. As per a police report, quote, Lois has a theory that if Sean lost it, it would have been about Billy Joe smugly painting the patio doors something Annie desperately wanted to do. Billy Joe winding up Annie, making her depressed. Sean suddenly thinking, what am I doing? A gesture by Billy Joe to Annie rubbing it in, as she was prone to do, enough to make Sean snap. For the first time, the jury would see a videotaped interview with Annie, who was 12 years old at the time, which had been recorded just the day after Billy Joe was killed. She said that in the afternoon her father had asked her if she wanted to go with him to collect Lottie from her clarinet lesson. She said, Billy had started painting. Dad thought Billy could do it at first, and then I could have a go. Dad kept popping in and checking on her. And he said that when she returned from picking Lottie up, she saw Billy Joe sitting near the patio doors painting. Music was playing. Annie recalled, Billy was painting and said hello, and I said hello back. We were just talking. Then Dad came to us and said we were going somewhere else to get some white spirit. The jury were then presented with a videotaped interview with Lottie from the day after the murder. The then 10-year-old told police that when they left to go to the DIY store, the side gate to the patio was closed, but when they returned, it was open. 
After the interviews were played to the jury, the prosecution then called on Dr. Adrian Wayne, who testified that spots of blood had been found on Sean Jenkins' trousers. When this blood dried and flecked off, he observed the presence of three microscopic pieces of flesh. Dr. Wayne found the same microscopic pieces of flesh on Billy Joe's leggings, which he had re-examined before the retrial. The doctor told the court, I noticed that some of the spots on both the leggings and trousers had what appeared to be a white material enclosed inside the blood, which I hadn't previously seen. We didn't see them in 1997, possibly because the blood, when it dries out, flakes off, thereby exposing what's inside. Sections of Billy Joe's lung tissue were then displayed on slides, showing air bubbles lodged in her airways. Dr. William Travis said that forced air from some source had likely represented an upper airway blockage in her lungs and Professor Andrew Nicholson concluded there was evidence of blood in about half of Billy Joe's small lower airways. Another expert witness, Professor David Dennison, also told the jury that he carried out a series of experiments on himself, saying, The results of these experiments showed that with a very small volume of fresh blood in your nose, you could project it as a spray of several hundred droplets to a height of a metre and a distance of about two metres. Only small volumes of air were necessary. The first conclusion I came to was if I develop pressure inside my lungs, I hold my breath or release a blocked nose, opening a mouth, that pressure is brought up to the site of the obstruction. These slight pressures were sufficient to break up and project a good distance. Droplets. Two to three hundred or more. Following all the testimony, the jury was sent away to deliberate. After six days, they had still failed to reach a verdict and the jury admitted they were deadlocked. They were discharged by Mrs Justice Rafferty, and the Crown immediately announced there would be a third trial. The third trial commenced in October 2005. The proceedings followed a similar format to the other two, with the prosecution contending that Sean Jenkins had killed a child in his care, while the defence argued it was an intruder, and blood found on Sean's clothing had in fact come from the expulsion of a blockage in Billy Joe's lungs. This time, however, it was revealed that before Billy Joe was killed, she had confided to her friends that Sean had punched and scratched her. She revealed that her adoptive father had struck her when she objected to him hitting their dog, Buster. Billy Joe had sworn her friend Holly Pryor and another friend Laura Jane Conway to secrecy. They revealed to the court that this happened just weeks before Billy Joe was killed. Laura Conway recalled, 
One day, Billy took us to the toilets at school and just said she had scratches all around her neck and a bruise. I asked her what had happened, and she said Sean was striking Buster, and Billy told Sean to stop, and he pinned her up against the toilet door and scratched her face. He told her it was up to him, and he would often tell her off and was really strict in that. Billy told us not to tell anyone. She had finger scratches across her neck and a bruise. She was really upset and crying, telling us. They looked really red and sore, as if they had been bleeding. However, in spite of the new evidence, much like the previous trial, the new jury could also not reach a verdict. Mr Justice Clark addressed jurors and told them, The length of time you took just underlines the amount of issues you have been considering over the many, many weeks throughout which you have devoted close attention and care. You have failed to reach a verdict, but you must not think of this as a failure, as it is part of the essence of the jury system that it does sometimes end in this way. He is the man who's baffled British justice. This was freedom after nearly a decade of accusation. Today, a moment to savour. With his new wife and legal team beside him, Sean Jenkins, a devout Christian who always denied he'd killed his foster daughter, free. It has taken more than nine years of struggle and faith for me to be standing here today. It has been a terrible ordeal and I find it difficult to actually take it in. The prosecutors would announce that they would not be seeking a fourth trial. The three sets of legal proceedings had already cost £10 million. Sean Jenkins left the courtroom that afternoon a free man. As he walked toward a car waiting for him, he was physically attacked by Billy Joe's biological aunts, Maggie Costner and Beverly Williams. As he unsuccessfully avoided a punch to the face, someone shouted, You fucking murderer! You cunt! It's not over! You fucking child killer! Sean Jenkins later made a statement in which he voiced his opinion that the police had made what he called dreadful errors in their investigation. He felt the real killer had escaped detection because of the authorities' single-minded and desperate determination to convict him at all costs. Sean remarked, The murder investigation must be reopened immediately with a new police team who will put all of their energies into finding Billy Joe's killer. So where are we now? Following his acquittal, 
Sean Jenkins moved to Lymington in Hampshire with his new wife, Christina. There he signed up for a master's degree in criminology and criminal justice at Portsmouth University. Sean publicly expressed his desire to see his daughters again. He had written them letters, but their relationship ultimately fell apart. In 2006, Billy Joe's biological father, Bill, passed away from throat cancer. He had never faltered in his belief that Billy Joe was killed by her foster father. Why me feel guilt about the fact that Billy Joe went into care? Um, I'm certainly trying to make no excuses up, but unfortunately, when you're facing prison and your marriage is broken up, in anticipation of that, they'd hold on my children. In 2008, Sean Jenkins submitted a claim for up to £500,000 for loss of earnings and wrongful dismissal after being accused of killing Billy Joe. He said, I believe the government should compensate me for taking away my liberty for six years, which also meant I lost the childhood of my daughters. His compensation bid was denied, with the Ministry of Justice ruling that just because Sean Jenkins was cleared of murder, he did not mean he was clearly innocent. That same year, Sean released a book titled The Murder of Billy Joe Jenkins, in which he claimed to have come face to face with Billy Joe's killer. He described a dark-haired man in the hallway of the family home within an hour after finding Billy Joe's body. At the time, he believed it was a non-uniformed police officer, but now he speculated it was in fact Billy Joe's killer. Police discounted the claim, stating there were no new viable lines of inquiry. In 2018, Billy's biological mother, Debbie, passed away. Both she and Bill Jenkins had gone to the grave without ever knowing the truth of what happened to their oldest daughter and without seeing justice served. At the beginning of 2022, it was announced that police were conducting a forensic review of the murder of Billy Joe Jenkins. The re-examination focused on 150 tiny blood spots found on Sean's trousers and fleece. To this day, the murder of Billy Joe remains unsolved. Public opinion on the guilt of Sean Jenkins still remains divided. Following his acquittal, he never saw his former wife or daughters again. They set up a new home in Tasmania and desperately tried to pick up the pieces of their shattered lives. With the passage of time, Lois happily remarried a man named Vince and they welcomed a little boy into the family. Lois is now a proud grandmother. Her four girls have gone on to start families of their own 
grandchildren Sean will never get to meet. Lois once remarked, Our lives changed forever. The day that Billy died. Thank you for listening. And special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.